Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Late Night Alternative with Ian Lee. Unfiltered Night Talk with the original king of unconventional conversation on Talk Radio. We have ways of making you talk. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Sorry, I was just showing off to Kath and then I don't know what to say. So, went to New York, um, I've been twice this year, I've been very, very lucky. I went uh, earlier this year to go and see the monkeys and it was cancelled, right? The monkeys concerts were cancelled. So suddenly I'm in New York for five days w- with nothing to do. Uh, so I kind of looked online and I went and saw a great magic show. I saw a Frank Sinatra tribute evening and I saw they were showing a documentary, an art house cinema, about half ten, eleven o'clock in the morning. I thought, I might as well go and see that. I get to go and see a cinema that's not a huge multiplex. And I'll go and see a documentary about a guy that I've sort of vaguely heard of, but I don't really know anything about. And it, it, it could be a turkey. The film is about a guy called Mr. Rogers. And the uh, movie is called Won't You Be My Neighbour. It's going to get released in the UK, I think maybe November, early November. It is one of the most inspiring moving films I've ever seen. And earlier this week, I got to speak to Morgan Neville, the director. I'm joined by Morgan Neville. Good afternoon, Morgan. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine. Slightly jet-lagged, but otherwise fine. When did you get into the UK? Thursday night. So, um, but the LFF... And this is Monday morning now. Monday afternoon. I'm jet-lagged. Monday afternoon. Yeah, You've had a busy round. Um, I've had two films in the LFF, and the London Film Festival has actually been, I think, the number one film festival for me in my career. I've wow. had 11 films in this film festival. Oh, I, <laughs> oh, I know people who were at the screening of um, the Mr. Rogers movie, Won't You Be My Neighbor, yesterday. Um, both of them in floods of tears. As I was, I, I saw it. I saw it in New York a couple of months ago. I was over there mm-hmm. to see some concerts. The concerts got cancelled. Suddenly, I'm stuck in New York. So I just went, right, let's go and see a film. Won't you be my neighbour? Didn't know anything about it. I thought, oh, I'll go and see that. Man alive, I loved it. I have not been so moved by a film for years and years. Why did you make it? Well, I made it because. Um, because it was a voice I wanted to hear in the culture today. I mean, it wasn't, you know, so for people that don't know, mm. it's a film about Fred Rogers, who's um, the most famous American children's television presenter in history. So he's incredibly famous in America. Nobody knows who he is outside of America. No, he's great. He's great. Um, but he, he was kind of an odd character, you know, and, and you um, kind of wonder what he was and, you know, who what his motives were. But he turns out to be actually one of the most inspirational um people you could imagine i mean he was he was a uh, somebody who was like a champion of of civility and kindness it sounds it sounds kind of manners 
manners. Manners. You know, it doesn't seem very sexy if you say, but you know, it's what I call radical kindness. This idea that we can actually be good to each other. And this day and age, it's like this antidote to the to the moment we're in. Let's get this out of the way because the British, as you know, Britain. This will be mentioned. Britain has a a very tricky history with its children's entertainers, Um, and it turns out that some of them were great and some of them were horrible. And so I'm watching this film, knowing very little about him. I was aware of the cardigan image and the spoofs, but very little. And I'm waiting for the the punch to the guts. And and it turned out he was a sex criminal. And it, yeah. and what was so great is there is none of that. He is just a really charming, nice guy that wants the best for kids. That's it. Yeah. And there's this moment in the film where we start to address some of these rumors about him. And it's the thing everybody's wondering about. And it turns out to be this moment that says more about us as an audience, mm-hmm. where we come to th- expect this of our yeah. of our celebrities and our heroes, I guess, in a certain way. So it, it really about people that work with children. Yeah. A grown man wanting to work with children, that can't be right. Well, actually, it can be right. It can be that pure. Exactly. And so the, the real tension in the movie comes between him and the world who doesn't necessarily care. You know, does the world care about kindness anymore? You know, is that just a out-of-date idea that we should be kind? We're jumping all over the place, but it's, it's uh, bits keep pinging into my mind. There is that kind of backlash against him a few years ago where he is called out I guess before the phrase snowflake generation which is a terrible phrase but called out for um, making young people feel entitled because he would tell every child that they were special and there was a weird kind of backlash that had a go at him for that yeah and I think part of it was you know was like a a really facile um, critique that actually completely missed the point of what he was doing I mean one of the things he would say is you are special but what I, I think he meant that in kind of a Christian sense that we're we each have inherent worth and um, you know we each that we're each each worthy of of love and being loved mm. you know which is a different thing than saying we're entitled to feel a sense of ownership over things it's it's kind of the opposite in a world where a lot of kids don't experience love and are told they're worthless to just let them know it's okay to feel some measure of, of self-respect is really what he was saying. Interesting, he has a very strong Christian upbringing. He's a, he's a minister or he trains to be a minister. He was, he was a minister. He was a minister and um, I guess it's a Christian message that he's putting across, but it's, it's kind of the message of any faith that, that just love, just love and be kind. Well, yeah, and absolutely. I mean, he was a Presbyterian minister, but but he studied all the world's religions. So he actually studied Catholicism. He learned Hebrew and studied Judaism. He studied Buddhism and Islam. And what he did and what he took from all those religions were kind of the common humanist values that most of the world's yeah. religions have, which is pretty much the playbook of how you should treat other people you know it's it's the most kind of fundamentally uh basic ideas of what it means to be to be uh, he would say a good neighbor but to be to be somebody who is there for other people and how we live together in our world and it's something that people don't advocate for and there isn't you wouldn't watch his show uh, certainly not the bits that are represented in the film and think oh this is a show about jesus christ you know it's not it's it's not a never, christian did, yeah never. never mentioned god once on the show and and he didn't want a child to feel um, excluded if they weren't Christian. So it, it wasn't about that. It was about the underlying morality that came out of his faith and out of most faiths. So in that way, it, it, it's un- uh, fundamentally that um, 
these values, which many people would think of as progressive or liberal, are actually deeply theological in that way. And I think that's kind of the debate that I think is interesting to have about, you know, how what does it mean to be a good Christian, a good citizen? You know, it's these essential values that I think most people would agree are, are worthy, yet nobody seems to practice. Because they're not cool. And they don't, as you said, they don't sound sexy. And you don't get votes and you don't get eyeballs doing it, too. Actually, there were two bits in it. Well, the, the, the one bit where the film turned for me and I thought, oh, this guy's a genius, actually a genius, was... Um, the clip, I guess, from 68-69, after Bobby, Bobby Kennedy has been shot, and the puppet turns to the human lady and says, what does assassination mean? Oh, man, I sank back in my chair. That's a powerful thing. And he used what was essentially a show for five to... Two to six-year-olds. Two to six-year-olds to, to help explain, as well as, you know, fun, nice things, explain big big issues that would be in the news or they would hear their parents talking about. I mean, he dealt with war, civil rights, I mean, all these issues, I mean, on and on, AIDS, nuclear holocaust, I mean, all these very heavy issues in this show for young kids. And part of why he did it is, I think he felt like the natural human instinct as a parent or as an adult is to tell children not to worry about things or yeah. to shield them from bad things. And the fact of the matter is children are way too smart to not know when bad things are happening. Mm. They instinctively know it. And if we don't help them process it or explain it to them, they build phobias and fears. And to him, fear was the great toxic force because fear metastasizes into things like hatred and bigotry and resentment. You mentioned bigotry. One of the great things that your film does is um, it puts into kind of a social and political context what he was doing within his show. It sounds a bit heavy, but it does. Um, and there's the great... Bit, the, the, the news footage or whatever it is of um, people of colour not being able to use swimming pools mm -hmm. that white people, and we kind of forget that segregation within America, it, it's within living memory, you know, huge segregation. And there's that beautiful scene. It's the postman, isn't it? Ah, uh, it's the policeman. The policeman, sorry. Officer That's it. And Mr. Rogers is sat there with his feet in a paddling pool, and the person of colour comes along, Mr. Clements, can I, can I, that looks good, can I put my feet, sure, put your feet in my pad, it's beautiful. Yeah. So simple yeah. and beautiful. No, and it's the kind of thing he did in these very subtle ways, that so we talk about these big ideas and these heavy issues, he dealt with them in such a slight, gentle way that if you weren't paying close attention, you might not notice it. But yeah. when you look at it and think about it, you understand what he's modeling. He's saying it's okay to do this. It's okay to think of people of any race or ability as completely normal. The radio show where the owls are not what they seem. Do you or have you ever watched Twin Peaks? The Late Night Alternative with Ian Lee. We could be dreaming and meeting each other in our dreams. On Talk Radio. Hello, I'm Martin Kellner. And I'm his daughter, Ruthie. We do a podcast, it's called Ruthie, Me and My Dad. In which I tell him how he's wrong about most things. And I explain to her who the Bee Gees were. It's on Acast and Apple Podcasts. And all your favourite podcast providers. It's a unique generation gap conversation between a baby boomer dad... And his Generation Z daughter. That's Ruthie, Me and My Dad. Brand new episodes every Thursday. The radio show that knows truth is always stranger than fiction. Week Monday, I get shoes. The Late Night Alternative with Ian Lee. Because they're too real to be part of my imagination. On talk radio. And in a world now with Trump and with Brexit, when, when everybody's being kind of torn apart, there is, there is one side and there is the other side. There's very little in the middle. Um, it, it, 
I feel like we need more of this, man. We need more people to go out and go, do you know what? It's all right to get on with people of different colour and different faiths and different sexualities. It's all right. And we don't really have anyone doing that. We don't. I mean, the, the thing is, we built this culture and, you know, we, we discussed this other film I made, Best of Enemies, about mm. these debates in the 60s, which led to kind of the news pundit world of today where everybody's arguing against one another. But we built this society that is actually incentivized to tear the other side down. Yeah. You know, that's how we succeed is by pitting one group against another. And it's all based on this assumption that the center will hold, you know, that, that uh, you know, the community, that societies will stick together. And I don't think that's true. You know, I think I think societies are delicate things that need to be nurtured. And I think he's one of those rare advocates that reminds us that we have much more in common and much more to lose. Um, if we lose the the community we have together, yeah. then, then what everybody else is saying. Well, most, a lot of news TV, a lot of news radio, a lot of my peers, it is, we will get one extreme view from this side, you know, I hate Muslims, and we'll get another extreme view saying, you know, we should become, and they will pit them against them, instead of just either, you know, not talking about that, or just, just having a chat about it, and, and uh, it's tiring, it's dated, and it, it causes division. Well, and it's, it's that, uh, you know, people are playing off of our human nature. Our human nature is, um, it's a lot easier to motivate people through fear than love. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that should be the opinion that wins. That's not right. That's just what's effective. You know. So I think we need to embrace the other thing as much as we can. What did Mr. Rogers mean to you as a kid? I'm assuming you watched him growing up. I loved him as a child. But he was just a really nice guy on TV that I liked. I had no sense of these other layers that were going on. He was just somebody that was kind of teaching me how to be a person and how to treat other people. But it was all, you know, I my relationship with him predates my memory. It's back to my earliest years. So it was all kind of foggy. And coming back around to it as an adult, I suddenly realized what was there all along. So why did you, 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 you a lot of your film, well, all of the, your, your documentaries, they are about stories. They're really good stories, 20 Feet from Star and The Best of Enemies, the Keith Richards, uh, they're all about really interesting stories. What made you choose this story? What was it you thought, I, there's, there's a two-hour movie in this? I mean, there were a couple of things. I mean, I think the first thing was me just wanting to spend more time with that voice and how to get that voice into the cultural discussion now. Like, how do we talk about these issues in a way? And he was the... He, he was the advocate for the kind of thing that I keep coming back to this this idea of how do we build common ground in our culture. Um, but the other thing, when I was really saying, well, is there enough here to make a two-hour movie? It was going to um, to Pittsburgh and through the archives, and the first thing I looked at was that Bobby Kennedy assassination mm. special. And when I saw that special, I didn't know exactly where the film was going to go, but any doubt that it would sustain a movie was gone. Yeah. I mean, I knew any depth or conflict was all inherently there just in that one episode and from that you know it just got richer and richer but that was my key in there's the great this i mean there's so many great scenes in it and i've been raving about this on my show for i, I, I will do it. honestly everyone i know that has seen it and it's a few people now have all said it, they've, they've come out wanting to do better wanting to you know i came out thinking i want to make my show better and more caring my sister was in floods of tears yesterday texting me saying i want to be a better person that seems to be the overriding effect that it's having. Well, because the, the film is really, in many ways, a mirror, because it's what Fred Rogers did. I, I think so much of what we get um, from media and from politics is people trying to give you easy answers or to wrap it up in a bow. And the fact of the matter is everything's kind of messy, and I think what he did was always 
ask questions and say, what are you going to do? What's your moral responsibility here? And I think that's what I tried to do with the film is really put it back on the audience and make people ask tough questions. There's a great scene where he is defending. Now, you'll have to explain this slightly because American television is a strange thing for me. He's defending the funding Mm -hmm. that public broadcasting is getting. What was that all about? So in 1968, they began public television uh, in in America with just uh, not a lot of funding. But uh, the next year, Richard Nixon won the presidency and there was a backlash and they tried to gut PBS, our public broadcasting, at the very at its, in its very infancy. And they were on the cusp of doing it when they brought in Fred Rogers to come in and advocate. And there's this scene where he speaks in front of the U.S. Senate, these hard-nosed senators who have no interest in helping. And by the end of the speech, he's melted them. And they literally say from the stand, it looks like you just earned your $20 million. Well, what's great is he's got his like script and his notes. And the guy said, I've had enough of notes. If you're going to read to me, I don't want to, I don't want you to. And so Mr. Rogers is like, Okay, well, I'll speak from the heart. And it's it's this beautiful, impassioned speech about the importance of love and care. And the the, the thing, I've got two boys who are six and eight, so I get this now, is treating, is not talking down to kids, Mm -hmm. not patronizing kids, talking in their language, Mm -hmm. but treating them as um, emotional uh, uh, human beings that can think and can function. And, And He's one of the few voices, certainly one of the first voices, that does that. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's really one of his breakthroughs in, in terms of dealing with children, but even in how he deals with adults, like in that scene, is he speaks with such incredible sincerity. It's like a superpower where ultimately he's going to find a person's emotional bullseye and there's no escaping it. And you're just not used to somebody being that open and vulnerable and emotional and direct and sincere. You just don't experience it much. And so when he does it, you just see the incredible power it has on everybody he talks to. Are you worried? It's opening here soon. Um, we don't know who Mr. Roger is. But Roger is. We're aware of the image. You know, we've seen some of the spoofs of that, that character with the cardigan or, uh, uh, and things, but we don't know who he is. Now, it's a great movie, and I was blown away when I saw it. Are you worried that people are, are, are not going to see it because they don't know who he is. Well, I, I mean, it's it's a very different situation. So let me just say, in America, this summer, it came out, and it's the biggest documentary in five years in America. It took like $25 million or yeah. something. Which is it was a colossal oh, hit wow. in America. Thank you. And so it's interesting coming to England where nobody has any idea, yeah. but I've screened it for enough people here that connect with the film, as you suggest, uh, that I don't expect the same kind of results, of course, but I just feel like it's a film that works if you're interested in these kinds of basic issues. And it's a very um, moving film. I mean, I think that's kind of the main thing that people have talked about seeing it in the States, is that it's a film that moves you not with sadness, but with goodness. And that, in a way, is the most moving thing of all. There's a a trick I've stolen a bit from that film, which you stole from him. That great trick where he gets he just does silence for 60 seconds to think about someone you've lost or someone who's important and i'm a big fan of silence on the radio because it's it's the most powerful tool i've got the silence but for someone to do that on a tv show on a kids tv show that's incredibly brave to do and a a really powerful trick we've done it a couple of times after seeing the movie it's a powerful trick isn't it it is and it's because 
silence is almost, uh, you know, forbidden in, in broadcast media. And the idea that, you know, one time he said, do you want to know how long a minute is, kids? And he takes out an egg timer, and they sit there for 60 seconds and just wait. And it's that sense of silence. I mean, now we talk about ideas of uh, slow culture or mindfulness or emotional maturity. We have names for these things, but he was doing them 50 years ago. But just the sense of taking space to actually contemplate things and process things is hugely important. It's actually hugely important to human development. But he understood that, and it's something we just don't get enough of. And well done you for putting it in the movie, because there is that wonderful bit where most of the contributors sit there silently for 60 seconds, and it ends, and it's really powerful. You know, and some of them are in tears, and some are thinking of their mums. But it's a great, it's a great moment. Yeah, well, thank you. And because part of what it does, again, I think, is it asks the audience to do the same. You know, so it's trying to engage you in the same kind of idea, that this isn't about us, it's about you, you know, and that we all have to make our own decisions because we each have our own special person that meant something to us in that way, or maybe more than one. So, yeah, to me, that was that was kind of one of those fantastic breakthroughs that happened in making the film. I get the feeling that um, he was disappointed towards the end of his life with the world. There's that, I mean, incredible moment where he's asked back on TV to talk about 9-11. Mm-hmm. And it seems for the first time, he doesn't actually know what to say because he's so... Um, upset by how you know obviously it was a horrific event but he he seems genuinely shocked by how horrible and mean people can be with the end of his the end of his life was was he disappointed do you think I think he was grappling with these issues of, you know, what do you do with things that are so overwhelmingly terrible? And But at the same time, people would say to him, and I, I heard him say this, they'd say, well, you know, oh, this evil thing happened. And he would say, don't say that. Like, I don't believe in good and evil. That's not useful. It's not useful to think of those terms. And even when he finally gathers enough energy to speak in nine, about 9-11, and he does this incredible kind of public service announcement oh, to, to process it, he names all the things we should keep in our hearts and our minds and the last three things he talks about are faith and pardon and love mm. and you think about those i mean who else was talking about pardon in the immediate aftermath of 9-11 oh it was it was burning spears it was fists raised it's yeah. let's go and kill that that stuck out as being an incredible incredible moment. yeah and i think those three things i keep coming back to this the sense of, of faith or trust or whatever that means to you, of love and of pardon, of understanding, you know, essentially, uh, is something we we don't have nearly enough in our culture. And, you know, that's something when I come back to what would he think about this, I come back to those three things. Um What's next? Have you got have you got another project? Are you constantly because your your back catalogue is incredible. You've done some great movies. I don't want to blow smoke up your ass, but are you constantly you've got three or four ideas on the go at the same time? I do. I do. And I just finished this other film about Orson Welles uh, that's coming out on Netflix in a couple of weeks. Um, called The Love Me When I'm Dead. So I just finished two films, so I'm taking a slight breather. I'm working I'm working I, I have some T V shows I'm working on now, but I'm trying to decide what the next film is. But okay. it it'll come soon. I'm Sure. Uh, listen, uh, won't you be my neighbour? It's, it's so beautiful. Really, I, I enjoyed it way more than I was expecting to. Everyone I know who's seen it has been just blown away. You should be very proud of yourself. It's a great film. Congratulations. Thank you so much, and thanks for uh, speaking out about it. Talk radio, talk and entertainment across the nation. Talk radio. Give it some lip. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. 
Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.